Good morning, Southfield. Will you stand and sing with us? eternity in our hearts we were yours from the very start all we know has been torn apart now we have forever you gave a song for our souls to sing and your life was the offering even death it is lost its sting You can't take away what the world didn't get. We were made for more. We were made for more at the end of the day. This will remain forever. We are yours. Forever we are yours. You made a place at your table, God. Paid the way for the poor and lost. Called us into your open arms. Now we have forever. And you can't take away what the world didn't get. We were made for more. We were made for more at the end of the day. This will remain forever. We are yours. Forever we are yours. And you can't take away what the world didn't get. We were made for more, we were made for more at the end of the day. This will remain forever, we are yours, forever we are yours. No one, no one can take your place. No life, no death can separate your love, your love. at a junior high, I get the awesome opportunity of supervising lunch, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade lunch. It is awful, Um, but I love it. I love it. Um, So at lunch, the kids have to sit with their panther time, which is basically like their homeroom, their little family group. And 
Every single day I have a kid that comes up to me whining and complaining that they don't want to sit with those people. They want to sit with their friends. I'm like, I'm sorry, make friends in your group. Um, And so there was one day this little boy sits with some troublemakers. They kind of make fun of him and are kind of mean to him. Um, And this one day I come over and he's just bawling. And I'm like, oh, what did they do now? Like, what, what mean thing are they doing to you? And he goes, well, I, and he can't get himself together. You know, he's like bawling, bawling, bawling. I, I just, I was talking about Jesus. And, and then the other little boy cuts in and he's like, and I'm an atheist. So what? And the little boy comes back and he's just like, I just, I don't understand why they don't believe in God. And he's just bawling and bawling and bawling and can't get himself together. And it made me think, well, one, it melted my heart completely and broke it a little bit, but it made me think like, have we as adults ever been like that? Just bawling because someone doesn't believe in God. Not because there's something wrong going in their life, but just because they don't know God. And I'm not talking about your family member that you've been praying for to come to church for forever or your friend that you are so close with, but you want that one little connection of having that God connection with them as well. I'm talking about the person that doesn't like you or the person that you don't necessarily get along with. Have you ever sat and just outright sobbed and bawled for that person because they don't know God? Probably not, right? So there's a line in this next song that we're singing. We introduced it a couple weeks ago. And it just says, Rescue every doubter. Bring us back the wayward sons. And by your spirit, breathe upon them and show the world that you alone can save. Later in the bridge, it says, So breathe, O breath of God. Just breathe. And every single time we sing, Oh, So breathe, God. I want you to think about God breathing into um, the lives of those people. And again, you can think about your family members and your friends, but I want you to also think about those people that don't like you or you don't necessarily get along with them. Um, And just picture God just breathing life into them and showing them that he's the only one that can save the world.
dry bones come alive, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. A powder of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. God in heaven, there are so many ways that you could bring people to yourself, so many resources at your disposal, and yet you chose to use human beings, broken and sinful, but redeemed, to call on other human beings to come home. I thank you that we get the constant privilege of calling on dry bones to come alive, whether it is through our prayers whether it's through our direct conversations or just the way we live, we are grateful for the privilege of calling on others to come into life in Jesus Christ. Give us the courage to do that, the compassion to do that, the desire to do that. Help us, like Shelley's student, to weep. To weep that there are people who don't know you yet. And as you see our tears, answer our prayers, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can have a seat. How good to see you today. We are um, talking about noticing, having our eyes wide open and noticing. And today we're going to be talking about noticing God, noticing the activity of God in our lives. Tonight, if the clouds clear, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice a big full moon that's going to seem to go away. An eclipse coming. It's going to be pretty cool to watch. The last one that happened like this was 33 years ago. So a lot of you missed it because you weren't. And some of us were, but a lot of you weren't. And the next one's 18 years from now. So I'd encourage you to get out and see it. And you might even think, you know, as we're talking about dry bones coming alive, you might pray that as people get the chance to see something like that, God would, as David said, let the heavens declare the glory of God. Let them declare the glory of God in your own life. Let them declare the glory of God in the lives of people who need to come to know him. So this morning, as we're taking communion, and we will in a few moments, this is our opportunity to pay attention to the presence of Jesus in our lives all the time. A tray will come to you. It's got bread in the middle and cups on the side. Take one of each, and when you're ready, when you're comfortable, go ahead and take communion. But as you do, there's going to be a video with some music playing, and we're just going to see some scenes, some beautiful scenes from nature and from the sky, and hopefully it will call on us, call on us uh, to pay attention, to notice the activity of God 
all around us. One of the places that we notice the activity of God is in Scripture. We've been reading through different gospel passages just to get better acquainted with Jesus, to notice who he is, to learn who he is in our lives. I got to be honest with you, a lot of the passages we've been reading recently are about discipleship and the hard call of discipleship. Uh, Becoming a Christ follower wasn't just about getting all the benefits. It was about being a disciple of Jesus. And there are times that as we read the words of Jesus, uh, we hear a line, we hear a phrase, or we hear a word, and we go, what in the world did he mean by that? And there are a couple of those lines in this passage today that you're going to stop and go, what in the world did he mean by that? And here's what we do with this reading. We don't stop and comment on it. We just let the Spirit of God speak to us through the word read to us. So there may be a word or a line that you lock in on this morning and you pay attention to as God is speaking to you. After we're done reading, we'll take about a minute to just be quiet in the presence of God. And the silence isn't because, you know, someone in the tech room forgot to start the video or something like that. We take moments of intentional silence to be able to just be quiet in the presence of the Lord our God and let his word speak to us, let his spirit speak to us. So this reading is found in Mark chapter 9. And we read, starting in verse 38, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, Anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life maimed them with two hands and go to hell. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It would be better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm that eats them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. So let me uh, transition with a question. Do you know what you noticed? Notice. Do you know what you have a tendency in your life to notice? I, I know this. I notice broken things. I kind of look around and I see things that are broken. You know, I, I, I'll be walking along and I see something needs to be fixed. It's part of the way God wired me. I think it's part of how he called me to a turnaround church. It's like, they are broken things that need to be fixed. I notice trash. Can't help but see trash. I like to take walks in the morning, walking along the path, and there's somebody's Gatorade bottle, there's somebody's wine bottle, there's somebody's Cliff Bar wrapper, all this stuff. So I've gotten the habit that I actually take one of those 
garbage bags that they're trying to make illegal. And I take that on along into the path. And, you know, yesterday was one of my garbage pickup days because otherwise my prayer time is disrupted by garbage. I notice it. Wish I didn't. I notice it. Some of you are great at noticing typos. I mean, you can't read anything without seeing the letter that's messed up. I was tempted this morning to just typo massive the bulletin just to watch those people shake, you know, because it, it, would, it would make them just absolutely nuts. They see typos. If you're single, you probably have a tendency to see eligible bachelors and bachelorettes. They're on your radar all the time. If you're Brian, you notice the smell of bacon everywhere. You can smell bacon. You can, ooh, there it is, zero in. Mm, I'm going to get my bacon. You notice something. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take about 30, 45 seconds, talk to the person next to you, and fess up. What is it that you have a tendency to notice? Go ahead, talk about it right now. What? All right, sounds like uh, you noticed some things. I saw some of you have been smiling as we were talking about this. So, especially if it's a one or two worder, let's just hear a couple of you shout some things out. What are the things you tend to notice? Badly folded clothes. Badly folded clothes. The, ones, the ones that you've folded poorly, correct? Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> what else? Oh, yes. Uh, boy, yeah, I'm kind of wondering if there is actually a law in Illinois that you're not allowed to use your phone because uh, I notice that people don't like that law. What else do you notice? Typos, yes, typos, typos, typos. I hate giving anything to Roger. It's going to come back with red pen. What else? What else do you notice? Bad grammar. It's there. Spoken. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble. So anyway, all these different things that, you know, we're wired in a certain way to notice things. And we, we can't help it. It's almost like we can't get away from it. It's part of our gifting and our cursing. All at the same time, it's there. It's part of us. So here's my question to you. Do you have a tendency to notice God? Do you have a tendency in your life to notice, to actually see the fingerprints of God around you? Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? Let me give you an example. So this past summer, um, we were given a lawnmower to mow the lawn here at church. And by then, we were getting, you couldn't call what we had lawn, lawn anymore. It was looking more like wheat. And so I was like, I got I to gotta test this thing out. This is going to be kind of fun. So I got the mower out, and I, I started up, and I start mowing, and I'm having a good time. And one of the areas that I wanted to mow desperately was back where the prayer chairs are. It had gotten really high. You couldn't really get back in there anymore. And so I'm like, I'm going to spin in there and go ahead and clean that area up. So, so I ride on in, and as I'm coming around, I already knew there, was a lot of, there were a lot of pieces of wood over there that needed to be cleaned up. They had just been thrown there through the years. And so I got out, and I'm 
I'm throwing the pieces of the wood further away so that I can mow out through there. And I take my swipe and I, and I head on out and I start around the rest of the property. I'm just kind of going around mowing. And as I dim, I'm, I'm supposed to meet with uh, a couple for, for a counseling session. So I'm waiting for that to start and thinking, oh, I better check. What time is it? And I go like this and there's no phone in my pocket. It's gone. And I'm like, oh, great. I have literally been all over this property already. And, you know, I'm riding a riding lawnmower, hitting the rocks. I mean, I don't know where this thing is gone. And I'm literally, I am racking my brain just trying to figure out where in the world did I go. So, so I'm kind of retracing my mowing path. And I'm looking as I'm going, trying to see if I see it. And I come back into the prayer chair area, and I spin around. And as I'm coming back out, I hit a piece of wood right like that the mower stops. I mean, it just dead in its tracks. I'm like, are you kidding me? How am I going to admit that the lawnmower that was given to us is already ruined by me on the very first mow? You know, I'm like, this is nuts. So I'm like, well, I better go on in at least. I don't have the time right now to get the piece of wood out. I'll go on in, have the appointment, come back, figure out where my phone is, and we can go from there. And so the whole time I'm in the appointment, my, my brain is kind of going, where's my phone? Where's my, you know, it's, it's in the back of my head. So fortunately, I got one of those phones that I can go online and and say, my phone is lost, which I use religiously. And I, 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 I go ahead and start the ping. Maybe you've heard the ping. Sounds like a submarine. And so it's pinging away. It's pinging. It's pinging. And I'm like, okay, I got to go outside and see if I can find it. I open the back door and immediately I'm hearing the pinging. And my first thought is, ah, my phone is alive. Thank goodness I hadn't already mowed it or something like that. So I'm, I'm going toward my phone, and my phone is back. You may have figured it out by now, back by the prayer chairs. Because I had bent over to pick up the wood, and the phone had fallen out into the lawn. Here's the thing. That phone, laying in the grass just like this, was three feet away from being mowed by the mower. It was, I mean, three more feet. And you know what I've seen? Shards of iPhone. And I would have cried. And then I'd have punished myself by using a dumb phone for two years just to say, stupid, stupid boy. But in that moment, for some reason, God said, Dennis, today, I am going to protect you from your ignorance that you love to display so beautifully. And he said, we're going to just stop this mower just for a moment. And I'm not kidding. I picked up the phone and I looked to heaven. I just said, thank you. I, I truly in that moment felt like God had my back. This once it was like, thanks. You knew I didn't need to go through this. That was awesome. Now, a couple things happened here. For some of you, you go, really? Really? You're going to attribute God to saving your phone? Are you kidding me? Some of you are saying that's just coincidence and all that sort of thing. I guess here's what I ask you. Do you actually see the fingerprints of God's activity in your life as a child of God or not? Do you actually believe that God shows up? Do you actually believe that God is involved in the activity of your life? I believe he is. I believe he is. And I believe he wants us to be looking all the time for his fingerprints on our life. And to have those moments that we simply smile back to heaven and say, Thank you. Thank you so much. And we were able to express that gratitude for God very active in our lives. We've been talking about cultivating an attentive spirit to pay attention, paying attention to the presence of God, paying attention to other people, 
paying, just having our eyes open all the time. And that involves the cultivation of something that a lot of us have allowed to go dormant. And that is just being attentive to what's going on around us. We put in the earbuds, we get the noise going, and we're not paying attention to life going on around us. There's a person in the Bible who had an incredibly attentive spirit. In fact, the Bible describes him this way in Deuteronomy 34. It says of Moses, There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was absolutely attentive to the movement of God in his life all the time. He was paying attention to the fact that God was involved in the intimate affairs and details of his own life. This particular chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 34, is the last chapter of Moses' life. He's standing on a mountain named Nebo, looking out over the promised land. Promised land that God has said, this is the land I've given to my children, but you will not enter because you sinned. And so he's looking and he's seeing this in that moment. And then after he dies, this is written of him. He's a man whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, in the story of Moses, if you were to go back into Exodus chapter 33, there's this incredible incident that takes place. The people rebel once again. They're always doing something that just tries the patience of God. And in Exodus chapter 33, this is what God says to Moses. You take the people, you go to the promised land, I'm not going with you. I've had it. I've had it with these people. They're stubborn. I've had it. I am not going with you. Feel free. Go ahead. Be on your way. Now, the interesting thing, it takes about half the chapter before Moses starts to interact with God on this thing and basically says something like this. Um, If you're not moving, neither am I. If you're not moving, neither are we. Because we dare not go anywhere that you will not be with us and ultimately god comes back and says not only moses will i be with you but i'll be with the people let's go on from here and i really believe in exodus chapter 33 we have this we have this transition in the life of moses where a level of intimacy is achieved with god that he realizes he absolutely realizes the presence of god is absolutely essential If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 34 again, i got to be honest with you, ever since I've been a kid in Sunday school, hearing that story, I've kind of thought, this just doesn't seem very fair. I mean, Moses has been faithful every step along the way. He's led God's people just in absolute beautiful fashion. One of the great leaders of human history. And God says, you can look, but you can't go in. And if you read it in an earthly way, it almost looks as if God's rubbing his nose in it and saying, do you remember when you sinned? See the treat you don't get because you sinned? And you look at it and and you're like, wow, is that fair? You know, I really believe if we go back to Exodus chapter 33, what we find find as a man who was not feeling like God was punishing him or torturing him because what he had already realized is wherever God is, that's the promised land. Wherever I can be with God, that's the place I want to be. And he had grown in his noticing of God to the point that he would prefer being in the desert with God than in a land that is claimed to be promised if God would not be there. Well, How did he develop this kind of spirit? How did he become this kind of man? If you have a Bible, you want to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And these are, these are really familiar passages to a lot of people. This is the place where, um, where Moses is called by God to take the people from Egypt into the promised land. And the calling begins 
in just an absolutely normal, usual day in the life of Moses. He's tending sheep. He's been doing it for about 40 years. Tending sheep for his father-in-law. Out there on the mountainside, just taking care of the sheep. Starting with verse 1, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the the priest of Midian. He led the flock into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burned up? I must go see it. It wasn't enough to just see it off in a distance. I must go see it. Catch the next verse. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. What we're going to do this morning in looking at Moses is look at two things that really cultivated a noticing spirit within him. And we're going to look at number two first, and then we'll come back to number one. The second thing we find about Moses is that the more you know you, the more you notice God. What we realize in the life of Moses is this is a man who really knew himself. He really knew himself. And the more he knew about himself, the more he understand the depth of his motivation, who he was, and what he was all about, the more he knew God. We're told, the Bible says, that we are created in the image of God. And so the more we understand our humanity, the more we understand ourselves, it gives us opportunities to see the fingerprints of God in our lives. So we have this calling that goes on, the calling of Moses. And God initiates with him and says, I want you to lead my people to the promised land. And Moses begins to give what appear to be a series of excuses. And I really believe what you have on the part of Moses is a man who was very self-aware. A man who was saying, basically, I don't think you have the right guy. This is who I am. And as he says, this is who I am, he learns more and more about who God is. In realizing what his weaknesses were, what his shortcomings were, what his faults were, he then learned the greatness of his God. So he starts by protesting, it says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Now think about this for a moment. Forty years before, he would have answered this question for himself. He would have said, I am a prince of Egypt. Of course I can go talk to Pharaoh. I'm in the court. I would have no problem talking to Pharaoh. Forty years later, after tending sheep, he has finally come to a point of humility to be able to say, I'm nothing. And every one of us need to be able to come to a place of humility to say, I'm nothing. Not a sort of bad self-esteem nothing. I'm not talking about that. But to be able to come to a place of saying, God If you're not filling me, I have nothing to offer. I'm nothing. Here's a man who was able to say, God, seriously, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And beautifully, he notices something about God. God fills in a blank to his question. God answers, I will be with you. In fact, God is always with us, isn't he? 
And this is the sign that I will give to you that I've sent you. After you have left Egypt with these people, you will come and you will worship on this very moment. I think that's something we glance over. That when the people of Israel actually got out into the wilderness and came back to Sinai, God had affirmed to Moses, see, I'm the one that did this. You're not the one that did this. I'm the one that did this. And so when you have those moments, you notice in yourself, you say, who am I? The answer, the noticing is, you're not much, but God is everything. God is everything. And God wants to use you to accomplish his great and holy will. He goes on. He doesn't leave it there. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent you to me, they will ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Now, I'm reading this passage, and I'm kind of having this realization about Moses. Moses may very well not know an awful lot about Jehovah. He grew up in Pharaoh's family. He grew up understanding the religion of the Egyptians. He certainly had some awareness of his Israelite background, but we don't know how much his theology has developed at this point. He might quite literally be saying, what is your name? He was willing to admit, this is what I don't know about you, God. Are you willing to admit what you don't know about God? I'm amazed at some people that, I mean, they have a brilliant theology. I mean, they, they've, got, they've got it all figured out. They've got it so figured out that God might come to them to find out who he is. You know, they, they really have it figured out. And what they don't realize is God is mystery. And there are things, we are going to exist with God for eternity, and throughout eternity, we're going to keep learning about God. We're going to keep uncovering more and learning more about the beauty of our Heavenly Father. We're going to learn more and more and more about God. As Moses was willing to admit, I don't even know what to call you. I don't even know your name. God tells him, tell them I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said, say to them, I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one that has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Are you willing to be honest enough with yourself to admit there are things you don't know about God and to let God reveal who he is rather than pretending to know more than you really do? So he comes back again. It's like it's not enough. Now he says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never really appeared to you? Now this is a a big concern, isn't it? You might feel called by God to do something or say something, and people are going to question your credibility, question your legitimacy. And so here's Moses saying, I'm not even sure they'll be willing to listen to me. What am I supposed to do with that? He's admitting, again, I have a weakness. I have a shortcoming. And it's in his shortcoming that God reveals himself to him. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, what is that in your hand? I love that question because we all hold something in our hands. We all have something, a job, a career, whatever it may be. You have something that you hold in your hands, a family, you name it. You have something you hold in your hands. And God wants to use what you hold in your hand in order to reveal something more about himself to you. What is that you hold in your hand? Well, it turns out the thing he had in his hand was his shepherd's staff. A shepherd's staff that he had used for decades. 
And in this particular moment, God says, take the staff and throw it on the ground. Now, I suspect having used a shepherd's staff for decades, there was more than once that Moses had dropped his staff. And what did he do? He bent over, picked it up, and went on his way. This particular day, he drops his staff, and all of a sudden in front of him is a serpent instead of a staff. Did he learn something about God? He learned that God can use the thing that's in your hand in supernatural ways if you let him use the thing that's in your hand. If you just let him go ahead and use the thing that's in your hand. Then he actually says, take your hand, put it in your cloak. Now think about this. This is a man who was a veteran shepherd. There were many times that he had put his hand in his cloak just to get warm. Put his hand in his coat, he brings it out, and it is disease-ridden. He's looking at it and going, oh no. Time to get to the ER. I'm in big trouble. Put it back in. It's absolutely cured. God was willing to say, there are things that you have in your hands, and I'm telling you what, when I empower them, you're going to be amazed what you learn about me. If you'll just notice that I actually want to use the things you hold in your hand, I'm the one that will provide your credibility. Not you, God God says. I'm the one that will do that. Well, Moses pleaded with the Lord further. I'm never very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now, even, uh, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. So here's a guy who's realizing, I'm going to have to go po- speak to some powerful people and I don't speak well. Some have suggested that maybe he was just making up an excuse here. Uh, the reality is, here's a guy who's saying once again, this is what I know about me. You're going to need someone who could be at their very best in Pharaoh's court. And I have this huge defect. I am not able to overcome it. To which God responds. Think about the thing in your life that you think is a defect. The thing that you think is a a flaw or a fault that cannot be overcome. God's response is this. Who makes the the person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak. Notice he didn't say, I'll help you to speak better. I will be with you. I'll be present with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. The more he knew about his weakness, the more he began to understand how God wanted to be the one to use his weakness to bring about his great glory. Which brings us to his final comment. And maybe the one he should have started with. Lord, please send someone else. I just really don't want to do this. How many times have you felt the call of God on your life to do something and you went, I just don't want to. Please don't ask me. I just don't want to. You see, what Moses was able to realize in his life is his point of resistance. And I'll tell you what, if we'd start paying attention to our points of resistance, we would learn some things about ourselves. If we'd realize that those points of resistance are actually intersections with where God wants to work in our lives, God wants to challenge us, God wants to grow us. He learned some things about God in this moment. He learned that God has emotion. The Lord became angry with Moses. All right, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. Just get him, and would you please get going? Do the job I've called you to do. But you know, there's some areas that you sense real resistance and you're allowing those to be the places that you're saying, God, I just don't want to and so I'm not going to. And God actually wants in that moment to demonstrate his fingerprints and to say, bust through the resistance. I'm calling you to do this. Just head into it. The more you know you, 
the more you really know you and understand you, the more you'll begin to notice the way God works in your life. The more you'll be able to see the fingerprints of God all around you. That was number two. Let's go to number one. The more you move toward God, the more you notice God. The more you actually take movement toward God, the more you notice God. Exodus chapter 3, we saw this at the beginning of the passage. Think about this for a moment. He's out tending sheep. He sees a burning bush. He notices it. And this is what the Bible says. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look and see this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. You see what happens here? Moses doesn't walk along and go, oh, burning bush. Cool. I got to go take care of the sheep. Moses sees this thing and it says he actually, he had to move toward it. He had to move toward it to see what was going on. And and look at the next verse, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see. I think that phrase is pivotal. I'm not convinced that the bush would have started screaming if he kept walking. Yeah, over here. Hey, hey, did did you notice I'm not burning over here? It's when Moses actually leaned into it. When he actually said, could that be something important? Could that be God? It was when... The Lord saw that he turned aside to see. That's the moment that God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. Sadly, for a lot of us, we don't see burning bushes. I mean, this time of year, you have some of those plants that turn colors, but we don't see burning bushes. But I have a tendency to believe that even for some of us, if we did see it, we would just keep walking. We would keep walking because we'd say, oh, well, so what? Instead of realizing that it's actually the activity of God in your life. It's the fingerprints of God all over your life. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. We've got to have faith. And then he goes on to say, Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. You want to see the fingerprints of God in your life? You want to notice God? The starting point is, you've got to believe that God exists. And and it's kind of funny because I think for some of you are going, Duh. I'm in church, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Of of course I believe that God exists. I don't assume that. I don't assume that you believe God exists. It's quite possible that you've come to a point in your life that you explain everything away in every other way. Science, you name it. It's It's all got a different route, but it's not God. Until you actually come to the point of believing that God exists, you're not going to see the fingerprints of God. Now, in previous series, we talked about firelighters. I'm a firelighter, a person who loves the information. And so I've kind of got this approach with God. God, I'll believe you exist if you prove you exist. If you prove it, I'll believe. This verse says, I'm not going to prove anything until you believe. Faith first. Faith first. Believe that I exist and that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. That's what faith is all about. That's what God wants to cultivate in you. So as you're living your life, as you're walking through the, your days, are you actually looking around and recognizing there is a God in heaven who is intimately involved in the details of your life. He cares what's go, about what's going on. He's showing up all the time. He's part of your existence. How do you develop that kind of attentiveness? Let me give you a handful of things you could do. One, Spend some time reviewing the day. Last 10 minutes of the day. You may want to do this in bed. It works. I mean, for me, it would last three minutes, not 10 minutes. But, you know, just go ahead and spend some time thinking through the day and asking that question. Where was God in today? 
Where, where were those points that I could see divine intervention, that I could see divine fingerprints on my life, that I actually had that sense, as we were talking about with the disciples on the road to Emmaus last week, that my heart was moved in within me. There was a burning within me, and I realized this was something more than just ordinary. There was something divine going on. Where did I see God in my day? Review your day. How about this? Relive the moment. You may just be going through a moment and saying, what's God up to in this? What's God up to in this particular moment? God actually has an agenda for your life. I know you have an agenda for your life too. But God has something he's trying to accomplish in your life. Could you ever once in a while stop and just go, huh, that, that kind of didn't go the way I planned. What's God up to in this? Because he's actually got a better agenda. What's God up to in this? Ask that question. How about this one? Real time, live looking for the fingerprints of God. Real time, just look and say, where is God in my life right now? What's happening right now? Pay attention to those moments that feel a little bit like a spiritual punch in the gut. And you go, what was that? What was that? I had one of those a few weeks ago now. So I, I love to walk this path in the morning and I pray while I'm walking on the path. And it's a mix of sometimes I talk and sometimes I'm just quiet in the presence of God. So I'd gone through kind of an extended period of silence and I'm, and I'm walking along and, and, it's, and it's time to start praying again, talking again. And typically when I pray on the path, I do talk out loud, not, long, not loud enough that the runners and bikers think I'm nuts, but loud enough that it kind of keeps my mind focused. So I'm walking along and as I am, I, I started with the word Father. And I'm not kidding, I just kind of stopped. Because it was one of those moments I went, what was that? What was that? And my question was, why did I use the word father? Why did I use the word? I don't, personally, for me, I'm just telling you where I am, I don't call God father a lot of times in my personal prayer. I call him God, I call him a lot of other things, but, but I don't have a tendency to call him father. And so I, I just kind of stopped and went, what was that? Why did I just say father? And I know some of you are just kind of going, Wow, you overthink everything, dude. But, but no, this was, this was like a moment that I went, something just happened here. What was this? And so I started to unpack it a little bit. I'm thinking about the resistance to that word. What was that? What's going on? And I'm thinking about God and God is a father. And I'm thinking about my own father. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't necessarily like the comparison between the father I had as a kid and the father that I have in heaven and, you know, all those sorts of things. And I'm thinking about that more. And, and one of the thoughts that came to me is, you know, my dad is not the initiator of contact in my life. He doesn't call. He doesn't write. He's not the guy that does that. The birthday cards come from mom, all that sort of thing. So even when it comes to phone calls, I can use this hand, and I can't use all these fingers to give you all the times my dad has called me in my life. I don't need all of them. Less than this many times my father has called me in my life. And so I'm thinking through this, and I'm like, part of my resistance, part of my problem in this, in calling God Father, is that I don't view God in heaven as someone that initiates a relationship with me. I view God in heaven, my Father, as someone that I stand banging on the door saying, hey, do you hear me? Do you know I'm here? Do you know I'm here today? And, you know, I just kind of expressed frustration with that, that I, I, I really just wish that I, that I felt like you want me here. I want to be here. Do you want me here? I'm just being real honest about this. this is where I was in my talk with God. So that was Wednesday. Friday night, my phone rings. 
and I look at it. Love caller ID. Mom and dad passed. And I said, oh, mom's calling. And I pick it up, and it's my father's voice. And I kind of go, okay, what's up with that? I counted this out last night. I've lived 19,162 days. One, two, three. No, there's an app for that. Anyway, 19,162 days, and my father has called me less than this. Less than five times my father has called me on the phone. And so my next thought was, well, surely he wants something. And he talked for about 45 minutes, and the whole time it was just, I just wanted to talk to you. And I'm not kidding. I didn't hear three quarters of the conversation, but I'm sitting there going, God, you are wild. What's the chance after 19,100-some-odd days that I'd be able to put up one more finger and say, my dad called? And in that moment, I just went, this is God, active, personal, and powerful in my life. And you can call it coincidence, and I'll say, I'm going to pray for you. Because I hope that you will come to a day that you understand that there is a Father in heaven who loves you dearly and wants to have intimate interaction with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants you to see his fingerprints all over your life. They're there all the time. And you can call him chance and you can call him science. You can call him whatever you want, but he loves you. And he wants that friendship with you. Open your eyes. Notice him. He's there. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your intimate, loving care in our life. As we walk away from this place today, God, I know some of us, we're just going to hold tight. No coincidence, chance, things happen. But those of us that know you and trust you know differently. That without faith it is impossible to please you. We must believe that you exist and that you reward those who diligently seek you. Set us on a path, God, of believing and seeking and being rewarded in noticing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our team is going to come lead us in a song to close that talks about the incredible grace that God has given us as his children. And as they do, I just want to call attention to one more thing. Uh, Brian mentioned that our groups have gotten going this fall, and one focus of the groups this fall has been prayer. been a whole bunch of groups that have been involved in just spending time on their knees before God praying, asking God for impossible things. And it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful to see people, not people who believe in prayer, people who believe in the God we pray to and that God actually wants to respond to us. And so I just want to let you know that in the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be bringing a peace to Sunday mornings where you'll have the chance to meet with somebody on Sunday morning uh, to be able to express prayer with them. Just something that we think is important as we really do our best to notice the act of God who's in our lives all the time. Let's stand together and sing.
a couple minutes to stick around. We need to tear down the chairs this week. Um, So if you do, stick around. And if not, we'll see you next Sunday.